All right, talking sense, listeners and viewers. I'm so excited today. I've been counting down to have this guest on. We are honored to have Tracy Eiler, the CMO of Inside View. And she's gonna talk about aligning sales and marketing as well as a bunch of other topics because Tracy is a real Renaissance woman and I'm questioning if she ever sleeps since you've written a book, founded a nonprofit, uh, mom, and CMO. So how does this all fit into any type of normal equation? You know, I think it's all about Latin, really, right? You have to decide where you're going to spend your precious time because it's the only thing in theory that we can control. And for me, it's work and family. But also, I think at this point in my career, I'm just super interested in helping to support the next generation of marketers. And, sure. you know, so that's part of where I pick, you know, where I'm going to spend my time, like the Women in Revenue organization that I know we're going to talk about. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that one. Before we get into that, I do want to talk about Align to Achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a pretty big commitment to decide to write a book. It what is. was kind of the impetus that you were like, you know what, I'm doing this. I'm you know in. what, I, I had always been interested in, um, in writing a book, but I thought it would be a very isolating experience, which it was. And I also didn't think it was something that you could really do when you had a full-time job. But we, there was a business problem behind it, which was when I came to Inside View four years ago as CMO, we had a cross-sell problem, and we had a very well-established customer base with our Inside View sales product and, um, and fans in the sales organization, and we had a variety of new products that we could help marketers. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to parlay the sales relationship into the marketing relationship and just running into a brick wall almost every time. And, and so my co-author Andrea and I started putting our heads together like, what are we going to do about this? Like, really, they don't like each other that much that we can't even get a warm intro from one department to another. I do think the persona change is hard, though. Yes, it is and hard. And I think it's hard for sellers, too. But you would think, right, that there would at least be a, sure, I'll, in, I'll introduce you to Latin, you know, problem. Um, and and it, the, at the root of it is is sort of mistrust and not having good relationship and not having, you know, a smooth lead to revenue journey. That I mean, that was the root issue of it all. Because it's not that hard to make an introduction from one department to another, but we had customers literally saying, like, uh, I can't introduce you to her. I, I don't even really know what she does. So, so that for us was, you know, very puzzling and we started digging into it and it really turned out that the conflict between sales and marketing continues to be an age old problem. Unfortunately, it's been a problem since I was 16 years old and had my first SDR job. Um, and so we did a bunch of original research, interviewed a variety of companies and, um, and started speaking about it in the industry. And then Wiley heard about it, the publisher Wiley, and said, you know, we think this could actually be a good business book. Would you be interested in doing it? And, you know, we had a bunch of original material anyway. So it was like, okay, yeah, sure, we'll do that. That was like in January of that year, and the manuscript was due in May. This was 2016. Um, so that was crazy, right? <laughs> Five months of, you know, just jamming Editing out. and... But we launched it that fall. It's been out for a little over two years. Um, it sold more than 20,000 copies, which is no one expected, right? Um, which is really great. It's gratifying because I think it's helping marketing and salespeople figure out their nexus point and figure out how to deal with the people issues, what to do about their processes, how to handle technology and data and, and things of that nature. Well, I like it too because I feel like there's sort of this 
a little bit in our industry, like vanity, like, oh, I need to write a book, just yes. to write a book. Yes. And I love the fact that there is the research behind it. It's from mm-hmm. a business need. It's not just, oh, let's let's have a campaign that has a book. Yeah. Right? It's legit. I mean, it's legit. <laughs> and then what's cool is that the, the, the original survey instrument that fueled the original manuscript, um, I've rerun it now again at the beginning of this last year. And, um, and you know, we watch where, how things change, right, and how they stay the same. Um, and so that's, you know, it's a great topic, and it's one that it is getting better in the industry. I think sales is getting closer to marketing. Marketing is getting closer to sales. We're aligning around pipeline for once instead of counting leads, you know, things of that nature. But also the buyer's changing it, right? The buyer's staying anonymous for so long that, you know, we have to be, you know, a united front in order We've to engage. We've got it. One, I mean, this is coming up with all of our customers, and I'm sure yours, and all the guests on Talking Sense, is marketing has to, I don't want to say carry the ball, because you have to work together the whole journey, but um, lead for a lot longer, because people don't want to talk to sales. We do. And so the lion's share of that responsibility is now completely changed. We do. Yeah. And we really have to help our sellers more than ever, I think. You know, sales enablement is such a huge thing it's gone beyond the normal onboarding and training to something that's super integrated sellers are really smart about the journey they're really smart about the buying process and you know and so on so it's um very integrated way more than ever when you were on stage presenting and you said we have this score of marketing muscle i'm like thank god it's such a clean way To help people understand and also prioritize. And also what it takes to be excellent in execution, right? Because to your point, you know, sure, you can roll something on open table, send out seven invites and hope people show up, right? But is it going to be memorable? Is it going to be an efficient dinner? Is the restaurant quiet enough? You know, all of those things that us marketers think about. Um, So so those sorts of people, um, uh, empathy building and communication. Um, Another example of good communication is we hold something we call a smarketing meeting, which is a cutesy name. Name. Our VP of sales came up with the name, did not, it was not me. Um, but that meeting is a very specific meeting. So, you know, of course we meet with our sellers on a cadence of quarterly planning, annual planning, things of that nature. But what about what's happening right now and, you know, three weeks ago and three weeks coming up? So this just a six-week window and oh, we meet every nice. other week and we talk about what just happened and how's the follow-up going from that thing? How did we rate that thing? Like, you know, the latest conference we were just at or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. How is the digestion of the leads going, right? Are we getting stuck? Are we overwhelming our SDRs? All of that. And then what's coming up next? What's most immediate? And that, that very short-term focused meeting is very effective. It helps us market marketing and stay in front of our sellers. It helps us get rapid feedback. It keeps them in the loop. Um, and, and it's not too much. It's like digestible. You're absolutely right. It's enough right. window that they can prepare Yes. without showing the whole plan. Right. So that's really nice. And it's a great way to expose our um, individual contributor marketing managers. So, you know, they can talk about their campaign, which is great. And then, you know, the sales leaders come to that meeting and I always ask them to bring a lieutenant, you know, bring a top seller and start rotating them in. Right. And that helps a lot because then those folks start learning, you know, what does it take to execute that executive dinner? So that's a, those are people takeaways. Um, There's also a lot of process takeaways and, and some regarding technology and Cool. Awesome. Well, we'll all have to go and read it. Thanks for sharing some of the clip notes with us. Um, I want to transition and talk a little bit about 
Inside View. I've been a customer of Inside View. Love the product. Mm -hmm. We're partners with you guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, the need that you fill is just tremendous. Um, I recently heard a stat from Forrester that only 13% of marketers have any confidence in their, or end sellers have any confidence in their data. Mm. So, wide open space of problem to fill. Right. What are What are you guys up to? How you know? How's it going? Right. Give us a little bit of history and maybe yeah. what you're going to do at InsideView. What you're talking about is the the criticality of having a data strategy when you're in sales and marketing. And I think in the old days even just going back two, three years ago, we used to just sort of deal with what was in our CRM or lists we could buy or campaigns we could run, right? And we're finding that the modern sellers, modern marketers are being much more intentional mm -hmm. about the accounts they're going after. Of course, we all know about the account-based marketing craze, um, but it's really more than that. When you think about how can I confidently go to market? Do I really know my ideal customer? Do I really know the total addressable market? Do I really know? Do, down to the level of what accounts and where they are and who the people are in those accounts? That's what we do. We help our customers figure out their go-to-market strategy at that level of what's my ideal customer by helping them with lookalikes, and then what is my TAM, my total addressable market? And that leads to intelligent account selection when it comes to ABM programs. It leads to smart territory planning. And then we have a platform essentially that feeds that data you know, into their CRM so that they can run campaigns and do account research. So we are very much have, have elevated our value add from something that was account research when I joined the company and we were only selling to sellers sure. to something that is really helping in the C-suite um, with go-to-market planning and then you can do that execution. So if you think about you know, your tech stack, your systems, marketing automation, and CRM, they're empty shells, right? They're just empty shells of functionality. We have to feed them, you know, with smart information. And we also know that people are constantly changing companies. Oh, yeah. Companies You're never are constantly done. changing, right? Yeah. So you just, it, this is not a set and forget. Data hygiene and, and data planning and all of that is just something that has to be a fundamental um, practice, I think, of go-to-market teams. So, along those lines, we're hearing a lot about um, revenue operations, mm -hmm. and one of the things that when I came over to Sixth Sense, I used to have marketing ops and sales ops, but we decided, you know, Mark and I, let's just, let's have it, let's have data and data owned by kind of one individual, one function, make sure we're on the same page. Um, I would think that role is becoming pretty critical in the industry and, and a great use case for what you're talking about, like aligning sales and marketing. I think it is um, growing in the industry, I, but I think it's growing on the coasts where you'd expect, right? right? <laughs> New York and San Francisco tech companies are are starting to bring it all together under one. Um, but there are you know thought leaders from Serious Decisions, as an example, um, Dana Tarian, who talks about that you know, if you have one consolidated revenue ops team who manages all the tech stack and all of the data strategy underneath it, and the reporting especially that goes along with that lead to revenue and repeat revenue, um, you're gonna be a higher performing business. 
I think the devil is in the details, right? Where does this team report? Where does their authority sure. and functionality begin and end? Like I know as a CMO, there's no way I'm going to give up campaign execution. You know, so where right. does marketing ops live, right? Does marketing ops do campaign execution or are they part of this revenue ops team? The way we've designed it in our companies, we have blended it all together for the same reasons that, that you talked about. But the campaign execution piece stays in marketing where I think it belongs. Yeah, right? yeah totally. You know, doing a seven-step nurture. I don't want to go knock on the door. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm totally with but, you. Um, but being able to go to one team for reporting especially and also data hygiene, right? And just making sure that all the lead to account mapping is correct and that our lead routing doesn't break and that we're enriching things the way we need to and all of that. Um, is much better in one organization. So I think we'll see that continue to grow. Yeah, I mean, my, I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a simple lady and, and I just said, I just, I don't want to have a set of dashboards and our chief customer officer to have a set of dashboards right. and sales to have a set and of dashboards. And by the way, they conflict. <laughs> yeah, and they don't, it's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, as long as we have and you, he can have his own dashboard, but there's one pipeline chart that we right. all refresh. And and so that was kind of my ob objective on having it together was, uh, yeah, it's just making sure that we tie out mm -hmm. um, with basic accounting. Yeah, right? definitely. <laughs> we want the data I to tie out. That, I think the thing that's unanswered is where should that group report? Right? Does it matter, you think? I, well, I think it should report to marketing, I'll just say. And, and I think that's because the way, the reason I believe that is if it reported into sales, I think we'd run into the same problem that we run into with some of our alignment issues where we'd end up too short-term focused and things that require longer lead, longer investment, things like that would things go that aren't this quarter. Now in a perfect world, <laughs> I think that that team would report into a COO kind of person and be a peer, right? To CRO, CMO, and then we would be customers of that function. But the reality is I just, I don't really know that that's going to happen. Right. So at least in our organization, um, that function reports to our head of sales, but I am really the executive sponsor that's giving them almost all their guidance because he doesn't have time to help them and support them and get them the resources they need for the longer term stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, that sounds like it makes sense and it's probably one of those functions, it's a little like SDRs where- It could be anywhere. It yeah, it's like you can on... really make the case either way. Some of it comes down to do we have the right leader and, and what's most critical right now and uh -huh. um, it's, yeah. it's a little bit of one of those I think. Yeah, I really think in a, a serious decision stat that I heard from Jake Gaines was 54% of the time STRs are reporting into marketing and then um, the other half into sales. So it's might as well just be a coin flip, right? <laughs> right. But, they, but they did have data that said that the, the higher growth companies, it was part of marketing. Um, so that's of note. I, I mean, I, I love having SDRs part of marketing, but it's been either way in my career, right? 50-50. Um, I think it, that team should really report into whatever executive is the most passionate about it, is willing to invest in those people because yes. they can be your next sellers, yes. right? And is is willing to put in the time to make sure that all the processes are right, right? Because there's so much conflict that comes from handoffs. That's an, a lesson from the book. All of these, you know, lead to MQL to sales accepted and so on. Every time you're passing, it's just fraught with argument and issue. It's an opportunity mm -hmm. for problems. It is. So 
the, the better process you can have, the more fidelity you can have for that process and so on. And I think that, you know, marketing cares a lot about that and sales is trying to get the deals closed. So I feel like, you know, I know that I care passionately about it and, um, and I'm willing to, you know, invest the time and the support that the SDR team needs to be successful. So love it. Love it. So let's talk about women in revenue. So, so honored to be, Sixth Sense is very honored to be part of Women in Revenue and, and sponsoring it. But maybe back up, like, how did the idea come together? Tell us a little bit about what it is and, and maybe what you see in the future. For that. Sure. So, so last fall, November of 2018, um, a, a loosely networked group of sales and marketing executives that are all women got together. And our, um, our core founder is a woman named Sherry Johnston, and she had had this vision of putting together some kind of organization to help women that were in revenue positions. And she grabbed the women in revenue URL, um, <laughs> .org, by the way, and, um, and then started pulling into our network sales and marketing leaders that might want to get involved in the same mission. And so came up with 11 of us, and um, we're about half sales, half marketing. And we all came together with this shared need where we saw that our sisters in engineering um, are, are there are more organizations now to help women that are in those STEM roles, girls who code, right. as an example. Right. They're um, self-organizing. Yeah, they're self-organizing. They're ahead of us in that regard. But what do you do if you are a, a sales manager and you want to be a CRO and you're a woman? What do you, you know, there's, I think there are more female CMOs case in point, the two of us, um, but there are there are fewer leaders in sales, yeah. way, less. way less. And so we came together with the express interest of, okay, let's figure out, first of all, what do these women need? And then secondly, what gap can we fill? So what do you do? We ran a survey, right? <laughs> we asked the market, what's hard about being a female in these roles? And what do you need from your companies and from your allies, your male allies in particular, totally. right? We need our brothers in this. And um, gathered a bunch of great information and then put, basically put together a vision, which is just two things, provide networking opportunities for women in sales and marketing and mentorship opportunities. So we're just kicking off the mentorship part. We've had quarterly events so far, just two for networking. Um, in fact, our last one was really neat. You were a part of it, so yes. you know. Um, we called it Table Talks. And so there was a cocktail hour, and then you could self-select into a table of a topic you cared about, like building your personal brand, like um, how to work on your public speaking skills, like how to negotiate compensation, you know, led by somebody who was already had been through that, an executive that could give advice. And so the group's very early on. We're just under 500 members. Um, we have great sponsors like Sixth Sense and others. Um, the bigger vision is imagine two years from now where there's an Austin chapter and a New York Absolutely. chapter and a Chicago chapter yeah, and so on. Those, those local meetups, that kind of becomes That's like a your, huge piece of it. So tribe. for now, we found it in the Bay Area, but we have members from all over the country because it doesn't require, you know, a live you know, a live um, communication. Yes, I would love you to do <laughs> Chicago. And, you know, we should partner with Serious Decisions on doing Austin next year as yeah, an example, definitely. right? Um, so that's the organization, very simple. Um, there's lots of great content. I personally wrote our, our report following the survey that I talked yeah, about. Yeah, I wanted to ask about and that. And I did a bunch of third-party research because our sample size, frankly, was pretty small. We had 103 women respondents. They were all Bay Area. They were all B2B tech, right? It's like, okay, it's a little too homogeneous to get, you know... Good insights. Yeah, scalable insights. Um, and so I did a variety of other first-party research. There's great content coming out of... 
Harvard Business Review, out of McKinsey. And then I found an organization, I don't know if you've ever heard of, called Fairy God Boss. No. It's, they, they're basically trying to be glass door for women. And um, oh, so really go to fairygodboss.com. So you know, it's interesting. You know, clearly this is a, a topic that's really big at six cents and, and something I don't know if I thought as much about, unfortunately, before, but something that I'm thinking about a lot more. And, you know, we need to stick together and have our, our networks um, to elevate, but there's also such a big role that men need to play yes. in being our sponsors. Yes. And so I really thought back and I'm like, you know, they're, they're, if I think about my career, I, it's been a man who has taken a risk mm -hmm. on me, you know, Chris Heineken, Chris Barbin, and said, we'll give this crazy lady a chance. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of it is about helping, you know, women ask for the chance. Right. Um, and each other giving each other the chance. Right. Um, but as well as making sure that we share the findings with men in a, like a safe way. Yes, definitely. Um, one of the, the pieces of research that um, came into this report, and you can just get it from womeninrevenue.org, it's an ebook format, about 30 pages. Um, I did a lot of compensation comparison research, and mm -hmm. you know, I knew there were going to be gaps. I didn't expect to find gaps in sales, though. I mean, yeah, sales that's is so straightforward. It's binary, right? You either make there's your number or you don't make your number. Um, so I don't. There's more research to be done there because there were significant gaps in comp for um, women in sales, which is just bizarre to me. So. You know, I was able to only go so far in terms of my data, so that, that's a thread that needs to be pulled, but it's a really important one, and I think exposing that to our male allies is really important. Yeah, and I love the fairy god boss concept because what Glassdoor and G2 Crowd, and they've brought transparency yes. to it, which provides, you know, with the right sample size, mm -hmm. obviously, does provide a good amount of accountability it about... Does being a great leader for women on your team, but also men on your team. I like to think of it, I have this phrase I call the old girl network, right? And we, you know, many of us have that where there's about nine women, they're my old girls, known them forever. And um, and they are the ones that I call, you know, when I say I've got this kind of problem or I'm trying to negotiate this sort of thing or, oh my God, I just found out I'm pregnant. You know, those what do I do? sorts yeah. of really honest, pure conversations. So I'm excited to see more of what Fairy God Boss does because I think, you know, it gives some little inside scoop that you wouldn't get if you didn't know anybody. Awesome, awesome. Well, I mean, again, I, I'm still questioning the sleep thing, but... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that you're just great at prioritizing, but what's next? Like, what's your, what are you looking to, to do next, Tracy? I, at this point in my career, I am really trying to um, help the next generation. I mentioned that earlier. And so I'm doing that a variety of ways. Some of them is platforms like this. Some of them is women in revenue. I'm also teaching. Um, there's a really great organization called Green Fig um, that is, think of Udemy or Coursera, but for digital marketing. Oh, very and cool. they have a 16-week course um, that is creating job-ready digital marketers. They might be military spouses. They might be Paralympic athletes. They might be people that are in college studying liberal arts and know that they're going to graduate with no skills, right? Um, and I'm really excited about that kind of thing because I think our education system 
fall short in preparing people to be in B2B marketing or sales careers. They just don't really help. There's a handful of programs. Well, I think they're very general mm -hmm. and they are. what we do is more complicated than I think any of us would like given the technology and the analytical skills yeah. and they are skills that you either have or don't have right. Right. and they can be taught. They absolutely can be taught. So that's exciting to me, and, um, and and you know, and really, really interesting. There might be another book someday. I don't know. It was a very isolating experience, and I'm I'm fueled Not by sure you have it again. People. Yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> um, but you know, there's just there's so many people to help. There's so many things to get involved in that I'm just really excited about that next thing. And helping my son figure out where he wants to go to college. That's on the on the project list right now. All right. Well, listeners and viewers, if you have any advice for Tracy's son, let us know. And I just want to say it's very inspiring, everything you're doing. You're inspiring to me, and I'm sure everyone tuning Thank in. Thank you. So thanks for being such a force in the industry. Thanks for doing this program.